You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. convicted in a good way. I've been convicted to want to do more. I've been convicted to want to personally reach out more when God puts people in my path that I want to be a good Samaritan. I want to be the real deal. I want to reach out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And I see you. I love you nodding your head. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. It's a good kind of conviction. And that's an evidence. That's an evidence that you're a real child of God because you want to do what pleases Him. What is one of the ways that you know that you're a child of God? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he explains that one way you can know if you're a child of God is if you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit will continue to work on your heart and lead you closer to the path of Jesus. Pastor Danny shares that you'll want to do what pleases the Lord. Your heart will be concerned with what He's concerned with. Ask the Lord to continue to help you to walk in His loving footsteps. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 27, the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he wanted to justify himself. So he said, so who's my neighbor? And then Jesus told the parable. The guy who gets robbed going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So the implication is he's a Jewish man. He gets robbed. He gets beaten. Priest comes by, doesn't do anything. Levite comes by, doesn't do anything. And the most least likely person, a Samaritan, because Samaritans and Jews had no relationship. They didn't like each other. And the Samaritan, look what it says in verse 34. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. Next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus said to the expert in the law, go and do likewise, and that'll be the evidence that you have eternal life. That'll be the evidence. Not only love, but love to someone in a tangible, practical way that you wouldn't even normally associate with. You don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about. But that'll be the evidence. Now, you go from here, Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. A guy in the crowd says, Jesus, my brother won't give me the inheritance. And Jesus says, man, who made me an arbiter between you and your brother? Then he takes the opportunity and he says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Then he tells another parable about a rich man who produced, had a, a good crop, and I mean, he just, his stock investment just goes crazy, basically. And he says, what am I going to do? I'll just build bigger barns, and I'll retire early, and I'll take life easy. And God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your soul will be required from you. This is your last day living on planet Earth. You're going to die. Then who's going to get what you saved up for yourself? This is how to be with anyone who's rich in this life, but not rich toward God. And then you look, chapter 12, verse 32 of Luke. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. For no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then you go to chapter 16. And boy, does Jesus really upset the Pharisees here. Here's what he says to them. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Notice the next verse. The Pharisees who loved money and heard all this were sneering at Jesus. They didn't like what he had to say. Chapter 16, verse 19, he tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man has a beggar laid at his gate. He must have passed by him often, but he doesn't reach out to help him at all. Came time, rich man dies. He wakes up in the grave in a place we call hell, where there's fire. He's tormented. He's lost. And the sign in this life that he was lost is he just lived for himself and spent his money for himself and his own family. Beggar dies, he wakes up in Abraham's bosom, place of comfort, where all the Old Testament saints went before Jesus died on the cross. And now, that's been emptied out there with the Father. But it's interesting, the sign in this life, the evidence in this life, to which one was saved and which one was lost, the rich man was lost because he just lived for himself. And then you get to chapter 18, Beginning in verse 18, it's the story of the rich young ruler. He also comes and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. He says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, I believe he was a very morally upright young man, respected in the community. And then Jesus said, well, there's one more thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. You'll have great riches in heaven. And it says he went away very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And despite his belief in God, despite his upright standing in the community, the evidence that he was not saved was what he was not willing to do with his money and his possessions. Amazing. The, this practical love, the priority is the family of God. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't lose me here. Didn't say we're not to love the world. But the priority of this practical love is the family of God. Listen, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially the family of believers. There's the priority. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Greatest witness, numero uno, that we have to the world is by how we love one another. In very tangible ways, very practical ways. Greatest evidence. Paul writes in Acts 20, and everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work that we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If I really believe that, then I'll give more than I receive. If I really believe that. Catch this one. Ephesians. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Why? Because he became a Christian. But must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. And the priority is the family of God. That's where it begins. Now, I, I want to give you some biblical and practical ways to live this out. Practical ways to prove that we are the real deal. 
we are Christ's disciples and children of God. And first is corporate giving. There's a lot of scriptures here. We're not going to turn to all of them. Acts 4, the first one, is the early church. And it tells us there that grace was upon that church. Much grace was upon them. And some people were being led. They would sell a field. They would sell a house. The implication is it's an extra house. It's an extra field. They didn't really need. And they come and they bring the monies from those sales. And it says they laid it at the apostles' feet. They delivered it to the church. And then it says the apostles distributed it as people had need. This is corporate giving, and this is corporate distributing of the funds through the church leadership. You find that uh, several places. Acts chapter 11, the next verse there. A prophet named Agabus, a true prophet, predicts there's a famine coming on the entire Roman world, which will include Israel because Israel was under Rome in those days. In response to the prophecy uh, of this famine that was coming, the church began to corporately give to prepare to help people that were going to be in need when the famine hit. You read it. That's exactly what they did. Galatians chapter 2, when Paul uh, meets the pillars of the church, including Peter, and it says that Peter and these apostles uh, encouraged Paul to remember the poor, the very thing he said I was eager to do. And you read about 1 Corinthians 16, that Paul did that. The church in Jerusalem became a very needy church because of the famine, because of the persecution. And Paul, planning churches and going back and and encouraging those churches, he would take offerings. He gives practical instruction in 1 Corinthians 16 to lay aside a set sum on the first day of the week. That's the day you come together to worship. And he says, when I come, you set it aside every week so that when I come, no extra offerings will have to be made. And we'll be able to take that offering and deliver it to the poor saints. They appointed men to make sure there was accountability in the offerings. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me turn to that one because it talks about that very thing. And go look down at verse 16. I thank God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending him along with the brother who is praised by all the churches. So he had a good reputation for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the church churches to accompany us as we carry the offering accountability which we administer in order to honor the lord himself and to show our eagerness to help now don't miss chapter 9 this is so good chapter 9 verse 10 now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will increase the harvest of your righteousness you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to god this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of god's people but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to god people receiving in a time of need and thanking the lord because of the service by which you have Get this, verse 13, let me read it. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You prove that you're the real deal because you opened your wallet. You opened your purse. You reached out in very practical ways. You proved by that that you're the real deal. There's a second practical way, and we've already looked at it. I'll just state it. Good Samaritan giving. This is when God puts somebody along my personal path in life 
and I reach out in very practical ways to help them, and I'm not doing it to get a tax write-off. Listen, if you can get a tax write-off, anytime you can get one, get it. Because those laws may not continue if Jesus tarries. But you're not doing it to get a tax write-off. Happened to me just recently. A guy broke down on the side of the road. I know the day we live in, we got to be careful, danger and all that. But God led me, and I stopped. Uh, the guy's truck was broken down. I took him to get the part. I paid for the part. And I get Jesus, but I ain't tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you, I was more blessed than he was. Came back to the truck. I see a Bible sitting there, and I, I'm like, I'm like, that's a good book you got there. And we began to talk about the Lord. He's a brother in the Lord. What a blessing. That's a good Samaritan kind of thing. It just happened. I was the one that passed by. God led me to stop, and I was able to help him in the name of the Lord. Good Samaritan giving. And then there's a third. Don't miss this one. Giving through church relationships. The priority, priority is the family of God. We, we love the world, reach out to the world, but priority, number one evidence. And we've been through this before, and the only people that get tired of me saying this are the people that don't do anything about it. That you come and you call Calvary Chapel. This is my church. This is my home church. This is right. Somebody asks you, where do you go to church? He's like, Calvary Chapel. That's my church. Who in Calvary Chapel knows your need? Don't answer me out loud. I'm a, listen, it's a personal question. Who in Calvary Chapel? If you run on hard times in life, all right, who knows you well enough to know that you're going through hard times and has an opportunity to either reach out themselves or at least let the church know? Do you know they're going through this? Hey, maybe from your benevolence fund. And that's what we do with the benevolence fund. We call it our special needs offering. But maybe, maybe God wants you to reach out personally. But if nobody knows you, See, we're the body of Christ. I've said this before, but listen, we're the body of Christ. He's the head. He's the head of the church. We're the body. Sometimes Jesus wants to reach out to somebody that's a real Christian, that, that's a, a part of the church, but they're not connected with the church in a relational way. And so Jesus wants to reach out, but he can't reach out because you're not connected rightly with his body. Does that make sense? Now, let me ask you this. Sometimes God wants to use you to reach out, but you're not connected in such a way that you know somebody's need. Oh, you know their first name because you sit in the same chair and you got the few seconds to greet each other before I get up here with my big mouth. How many of you, in a very practical, tangible way, have been reached out to in a time of need in life by somebody in the church because you're relational and there was a need in your life at some point, at some point, and at least one time, you've been reached out to in a very practical, tangible way. Raise your hand. Raise your, look, at, look around. Keep your hands up. Look around at that. That's so encouraging. Put your hands down. Watch what happens now. How many of you, when you knew somebody because you have a relationship with them through a small group or some ministry involvement, and you were able to reach out in a very practical way, reach out to them and help them? How many of you? Look at a lot of the same hands. That's the way it's supposed to be. I receive, and then as I have opportunity, and I have extra, I hear of their need, and I reciprocate. That's the way it's supposed to work. Can I encourage you again? I mean, I know. I know you've heard it before. Get involved in such a way that you can become relational because God wants to minister to you in time of need, but he can't do it unless you get connected. And he wants to use you to reach out to others, but he can't do it unless you're really connected. Enough said. I think you got it. And then, of course, the, the other evidence here on this issue of love is that we love a world, and we love a world that doesn't love us. 
I love this verse. Isn't this a great verse? But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know the story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm not going to turn to it, but I love the story. So many great stories in the Old Testament. And the prophet Elisha. Uh, his servant goes outside uh, the house, Elisha's house, and he sees the Aramean army surrounding them on the hills. And he's all worried. And he goes back to Elisha and says, Elisha, master, we're going to perish. Elisha says, chill, man. There are, more, there, there are more with us than there are with them. Lord, open his eyes. And God opens the servant's eyes, and he looks, and he sees in the spirit realm, and he sees Horses and chariots of fire, angelic horses and chariots. And there's an army, an, an angelic army, much more numerable and powerful than the Aramean army. And I love what happens next. It's a great story. God blinds the whole Aramean army. And then Elisha leads them. They're blind. They can't see. Leads the whole army right into Jerusalem. And then as they get in Jerusalem, God opens their eyes. We're right in the heart of the enemy camp. And the king of Israel says to Elisha, hey, should we kill him? And Elisha says, no, feed him. Give him a feast and then send him home. And they did. And they fed him and they gave him a feast and then they sent him home. And it says, and the Aramean army didn't raid Israel anymore. That's odd, isn't it? Listen, listen to this. This is so cool. Romans 12. Verse 17, listen to it. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, don't take revenge, my friends. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a love for a world that doesn't love us. We're going to love them anyway. They're going to love them anyway. They're going to blow their minds. And hopefully some of them will get saved. It'd be great if all of them got saved. That's love, man. Let me read you. We're going to bring it to a close. Luke chapter 6. Again, red letter section. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Look at what Jesus says. I mean, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. But that's how their fathers treated the prophets. No, when you show that you're the real deal, you ought to be blessed when they hate you. But then he says, verse 27, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Peter said it like this. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit to their, themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Despite how they treat you. Despite their hatred. You know, Jesus said, uh, your enemies will be members of your own household, members of your own family. I've had people come up to me after the first two services and say, I can't believe you spoke on that. I got a sister, I got a brother, I got a mom, I got a dad. You know, there's some places in the world today, I mean, in reality, if you, if you confess Jesus Christ, you become a Christian, you're out of the family. You're out of the family. We got a guy, one of our missionaries knows that very well, Asif Sheikh from Pakistan. Just keep doing good. Just keep loving him. Keep praying for him. Okay, we got to bring it to a close. Back in 1 John, 
verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and get this, receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them here. And I only have to say it. I don't need to spend time on it. Another evidence you're the real deal. You're going to get your prayers answered. Now, we're not talking about everything you want and everything you ask for, but if you're living this kind of life, living this kind of life, see, it's an unselfish life. That way you're not as prone to, to do what James says and ask with wrong motives. And so you ask in the will of God, and God says, okay, you got it. You got it. Answered prayer. It's an evidence because now you're living in a way that's pleasing to him. You're reaching out, helping people in practical ways, priority being the church, your brothers and sisters in the church, and then the last. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now, I don't need to talk about this one because we already talked about it, but I will say in closing, you really possess the Holy Spirit. You know what's happened to you during these 40 minutes, 40 to 45 minutes that I've been up here spouting off? You're convicted in a good way. I've been convicted to want to do more. I've been convicted to want to personally reach out more when God puts people in my path that I want to be a good Samaritan. I want to be the real deal. I want to reach out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And I see you, I love you nodding your head. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I feel that. It's a good kind of conviction. And that's an evidence. That's an evidence that you're a real child of God because you want to do what pleases him. And I love what somebody said. I don't know who coined it, but they said, you cannot outgive God. There's a story of a pastor who went before the congregation and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we have enough money as a church to help out every needy person in our church family. And here's the bad news. Still out there in your pockets. <laughs> Once a preacher went to visit a farmer and the preacher said to the farmer, say, if you had $200, would you give 100 to the Lord? The farmer said, I would. Preacher then said, if you had two cows, would you give one of them to the Lord? Farmer said, I would. Preacher then said, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And the farmer said, now that ain't fair, preacher. You know I got two pigs. <laughs> First of all, thank you for laughing, those of you that, that chose to. See, God's not asking us to give what we don't have. One of the verses in 2 Corinthians there says basically that God judges based on what we have, not on what we don't have. And he says, this, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. But Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're dishonest with a little, you'll be dishonest with much. And then he goes on to say, if you're not faithful in handling worldly wealth, who's going to give you true riches? And once again, there's that evidence. If I'm the real deal, my paycheck will show it. My gifts in the name of the Lord will show it. My willingness to reach out as I have opportunity, both through corporate, corporate giving in the church and personal Good Samaritan kind of giving and through relationships in the church. I was so encouraged by in every service, the number of hands that went up saying, I have received from the Lord by being relational in the body. And then the 
pretty much the same number of hands in every service when I said, and those of you had the opportunity to reach out, and a lot of the same hands go up. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're a group of believers who seek to live and love just like Jesus did. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Pray that God would touch each listener with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Pastor Danny will continue his study in 1 John next time, so we hope you'll join us again. But in the meantime, we encourage you to read through 1 John on your own and ask the Lord to reveal who He is. People from every generation have struggled to understand who God is fully, but when you spend time in His Word, you begin to understand His heart. This is what the Apostle John understands and was so diligent to write about. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Fellowship as you dive into your relationship with Jesus. For service times, directions, and more, visit ccfstpete.church. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in as we teach the Word to reach the world. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from 1 John right here on The Living Word.